Well, good evening uh, to you all, and uh, it's a joy to be able to gather in the middle of a week, a little oasis for us as we come around the Word of God. And we're going to be carrying on in our series this evening in Proverbs uh, in chapter uh, 12. But let's just begin, shall we, by committing this time to our God in prayer. So let's pray together. Almighty God, gracious Father in heaven, we want to worship and adore your holy name this evening. We praise and thank you for who you are. You are majestic. You are full of splendor. You are a God of glory, the God who has made all things and who has sovereign rule and control over all things. You are very great and are small puny minds can barely even begin uh, to grasp your wonder and majesty and power. But Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. You're a God who condescends to uh, uh, reveal yourself to us in words, words that we can understand, words that begin to help us contemplate who you are. And Lord, in understanding who you are, We understand then who we ought to be. You have made us to be creatures who reflect your wonderful, perfect, holy image. And we thank you that we as your people know uh, that working within us by your Holy Spirit to uh, conform us more and more to your perfect image, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you you have delivered us from the power of sin. And it is possible now uh, by your power to say no to self and to be able to uh, obey your commands. And Lord, we thank you then for this book of Proverbs, which helps us to better understand uh, how you would have us to live. We thank you for its, its uh, practical advice, for its help uh, in uh, our, our day-to-day experiences. And we pray, Father, that as we consider the text um, uh, that we have for us this evening, that you would open our understanding that you would indeed give us the help of your Holy Spirit and that you would be working in our hearts. May we not only hear, though, may we do. And uh, we pray that you would mold us and shape us uh, as you would please. Uh, So we ask now for your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read then together the section that we're uh, going to be considering, uh, Proverbs chapter 12. Uh, from verse 14, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14, if you have a church Bible there, uh, that's page 636, page 636. Our theme for uh, this evening is worthy words, worthy words, and uh, the all of the uh, Proverbs that we'll be considering uh, this evening from verse 14 through to verse 22 uh, have to do with words. Well, in fact, the verse previous, verse 13, also has to do with words. It says, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Um, And then we have a more positive proverb here in verse 14. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, 
but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Well, first of all, let's consider verse 14. And we'll also be considering verse 21 under this first point, which is this. So good words. So good words. Verse 14, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The principle that we have here in this proverb is what you give is what you get. What you put in is going to be correlated with what you get out. And the picture we have here is of a man enjoying fruit, enjoying the, the produce of his work. And it implies then that he has put work in to achieve that crop. He has done sowing in order that he might enjoy fruit. And it's important then for us to learn that the more carefully we tend a garden, the more fruitful it will be. And we, of course, want to, to have much fruit that we might indeed be satisfied uh, with good. So we're to sow good words. And I think that, that is the, uh, the, the first area of application here. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good words. Words are like little seeds that you plant in the ground. I'm sure most of us have had experience at some time or other of planting perhaps uh, some uh, flower or perhaps uh, some vegetable and we've put it into the ground and we've covered it up. But it requires work, doesn't it? You've got to dig the ground, you've got to put compost in, you've got to make sure that the seed is, is at the right, uh, the right um, not too deep, not too shallow, put it in the right place. And then what do you do? Well, you have to wait you wait for that seed to, to grow, and over time it then eventually bears fruit. Well, the writer of Proverbs here wants us to learn this about our words. Our words are like seeds, and we, we plant them, and we're to do so very carefully because we want to be sure that what comes out from those words is going to be good fruit. In fact, we have another use of this picture of, of words being like, a, uh, like seeds that bear, that bear fruit in verse 2. Uh, of chapter 13 from the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good so you see what he's doing that there's is is it where this this fruit that's coming out as a result of his words and he's enjoying the return of what he says and so we want to be careful then in the kinds of seeds that we plant uh, with our words if you want to plant an apple tree, you want to make sure that the seed you're planting is going to be a good variety of apple. If you plant any old seed, you might end up getting a tree, but the apples might not taste very good. You want to make sure you've got just the right variety. And so it is then with our words. We need to have the right variety. If our words are seeds of complaint 
and bitterness and gossip, then the kind of fruit that's going to come out from that is going to taste the same. It's going to taste bitter. It's going to taste sour. It's not going to be good. And, of course, the return of those kinds of words uh, will be people who despise you, people who ignore you, people who hate you if you've got words of, of, uh, of an unkind nature. On the other hand, if our words are seeds, as it were, of encouragement, seeds of comfort, seeds of thoughtfulness and care, they're the kind that bear much good fruit for us to enjoy. And I want to give you uh, an example in Scripture of this exact point. Uh, we read uh, of a certain man in Acts uh, chapter 4. Just turn there now. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. And it's somewhat of a throwaway comment almost. But um, it's, I think, one that we can learn much from. Uh, we read about people who are selling their goods, selling their possessions, and they're bringing the proceeds to the apostles' feet. And we read of one certain man, verse 36. Thus Joseph, the problem is we don't know him by the name Joseph. We don't know who Joseph is because we know him by a different name who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Ah, we know that name, don't we? But why was he called Barnabas when his name was Joseph? Well, we have what's in our Bibles here in brackets. It's just a, a little comment here which means son of encouragement. Now, why has that been put in there? Well, surely it's for our instruction that Barnabas was a man who was known for his words of encouragement. He was a man who sowed good seeds. And you see, he's getting a good return. He was a man who was known for encouraging other people. And he's given a new name because of it. Um, he's, he's, as it were, he's eating the fruit of his mouth. Um, he's enjoying people who who admire him, who honor him for the way that he speaks in a good and encouraging way. Well, I wonder if that's what we do. Now, it doesn't mean that we are to say things to other people because we're looking for compliments ourselves. And that's called flattery, where we say nice things to other people because we want to have them pat us on the back. And not that at all. Rather, it wells up out of the heart, just a desire for the good of others, and it flows through uh, our mouths. And in so doing, in, in building other people up, their growth provides good things for us to enjoy. And what kind of fruit do we expect? Well, we can surely expect the fruit of love, can't we? We enjoy the fruit of love. Why? Well, if we're showing kindness and love to other people in the words that we say, they will show to us affection. They will love us for the way that we are speaking kindly to them. And we will enjoy that fruit. There's also the fruit, isn't there, of respect. And people will look up to the person who speaks to them honestly, who sows the seeds of gentleness, but also firm conviction in what they believe. And, and, and others then will, will give to them thanks and give to them honor and, and respect for those words. And such a person then will... You see, he will eat and be satisfied with the good of his mouth. The things that he speaks return to him uh, and he enjoys them. So this has to do with our words, but it also has to do with our work, as we see from um, the second half of verse 14. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. And we have a similar kind of uh, verse in the book of Isaiah and chapter 3. 
verse 10, and this is what it says there. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. They will enjoy the produce of what they have done. The quality and the quantity of what they have done will return to them. And this reminds us of the importance of hard work. I'm sure we know of uh, uh, people in our lives that we've met who are very, very gifted, but they're also very lazy, and they don't get done the things that they should get done. And although they're, they're naturally gifted in a certain area, because of their laziness, they never get very far. And we then know someone else in the same area, perhaps, who's not nearly so gifted, but they put in the hard graft, and they do a lot of plowing. And they end up being more successful and, and getting further in, in, in that area than the person who you would have thought would be more naturally gifted. In the end, hard work actually reaps more rewards than just natural talent. It's important then that we work hard and we will receive rewards when we work hard. When we, are, when we do kindly to other people, we will receive kindness. When we work honestly, we will be rewarded fairly. Of course, that's not always exactly the way that it works, but ultimately, generally, that is how it is. And it doesn't mean immediately either. It's important that we have this idea of of fruit here and sowing. It takes time, doesn't it? Imagine you plant a seed and you come out the next day and say, Oh, why is there nothing there? Well, that wouldn't be any use, would it? It takes time for a a harvest to grow. And so it is. And we put in the hard graft. And later on, we receive a return. And this is what we see also in verse 21, uh, to link these two proverbs. Verse 21 says, No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. This righteous person doesn't fall into trouble Why? Well, because he's leading a life that is full of peace. He's sowing what leads to peace in life. The wicked, on the opposite hand, they're filled with trouble. Why? Because they've got a a trail of of tears that's behind them, and they're going to reap a harvest of, of nothing, and they're going to go hungry. If you do crime, the law's going to catch up with you one day or other. If we behave uprightly, well, perhaps we'll receive some unjust things along, uh, you know, in our lives, but ultimately we'll be vindicated for having lived uh, uprightly and we'll be left in peace. And so we see then these, these two proverbs are connected. Well, it reminds us then, doesn't it, to work diligently and to work well, particularly in gospel work. Of course, we want to apply these things to, to our workplaces and in our families but especially that we see this, don't we, in the way that we uh, seek to sow the seeds of the word of God. It may be many years until we see the fruit of the words that we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the deeds that we do to seek to show forth the love of Christ. Many years plowing by prayer. Many years sowing in preaching. Many years watering in tears. But God will ultimately reward. Think of a man called William Carey. Maybe some of you know his name. William Carey was a missionary in India. 
And William Carey worked for year upon year upon year. And nothing happened. It was seven years before the first convert called Krishna Pal. And from that point on, the trickle began to become a stream. And more, and more people began to come to know Christ. But it took years of hard labor. And I'm sure we can think of other examples. Uh, I've heard of a missionary couple who, who spent many, many years, decades on the mission field. And they didn't really see much return for their labor. But then their son took on the work. And all of a sudden, there was a blossoming of a harvest. And was that because of the different person? Well, perhaps not so much as all that hard work that they put into that, into that field was now bearing fruit. God will bring a reward. And don't we see uh, this is exactly the point that's made in Psalm 126, uh, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 126, uh, from verse 5, it says this, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. There will be a reaping for hard sowing. And that's, I think, the principle that we find in this proverb. The work of a man's hand comes back to him. And how wonderful then that God rewards us abundantly. Uh, he rewards us far better than we can ever imagine. And our hard labor really is, is nothing in comparison to all that God gives to those who serve him. Thinking of Romans and chapter 2 uh, from verse 6, Paul says this of God on the, on the judgment day, he will render to each one according to his works to those who, listen to this, by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Those who by patience in well-doing, those will receive eternal life. They're seeking for glory and honor and immortality. And God will give those things to such a person. Well, let us serve him then. Let us serve the Lord hard. Let's give ourselves to him. Well, the first thing we learn then is to sow good words and sow good deeds as well. And as we patiently wait, God will indeed uh, reward us. Let us be sure of that. Secondly then, let us listen to wise words. Listen to wise words. Verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Don't be deaf to those who are helping you by giving you uh, constructive criticism, we might say. Giving you advice and help. And we have a contrast in this proverb between the fool and the wise man. But there's something of an irony, isn't there, in this proverb? And the irony is this. What they do gives the appearance of the opposite. The fool, we read, is right in his own eyes. He's, he's a man who's sure that he knows what he's doing. He's a man who appears to be wise. He appears to be very sure and confident that he's got a plan that's going to work out. He's got a good idea and he's going to stick to it. And it doesn't matter what other people say because he knows it's going to work out. He appears to be a wise man. And the wise man that we're told about in this proverb appears to be a fool, doesn't he? Because he's listening to others. Maybe he's got an idea. But then someone else says to him, well, I'm not so sure that that is a good idea. And his idea may be has to be changed. Well, 
he looks like the fool, doesn't he? Because what was his idea is now uh, maybe shown to be not quite such a good idea. But the proverb would have us not make this mistake. Really, it's the fool who does not listen to other people who are seeking to uh, warn them of what may be a bad decision. And it's the wise person who's willing to change his thoughts and willing to change his ways through the instruction of others. We need to be careful, don't we? It's very tempting to fall for people who are very confident. Got a kind of a, an aura of bravado about them. They know what they're doing. They're going to step out and they're sure that they, they know uh, the best. But while they can convince many, we always ought to be careful. Careful that they're not being fools and they've got this good idea, but others would advise differently. We want to instead look for the person who is willing to change, who is willing to listen and heed what others are advising. This is a wise man. And don't we have just such an example even in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, this is astonishing, isn't it? The Lord Jesus, God himself become man, was a man who was so humble that he was willing to, to sit at the feet of others and learn. And we read about that, don't we, in Luke chapter 2. That story of Jesus, he must be about 12 years old, and, and there he is in Jerusalem, and his parents are leaving Jerusalem. They, they each think that the other one has got Jesus with, with them, but Jesus is actually still in Jerusalem, and there he is in the temple when they go back and find him, sitting at the feet of the scholars, the teachers of the day, and he's listening to them and learning from them. And they're amazed at what he's coming out with at such a young age. But but you see, he he was there, he was gleaning, he was learning, he was absorbing what he could from others. And such it ought to be for ourselves. Far more so because for the Lord Jesus, he never made a a, a sinful mistake. He had no idea that that was skewed by selfishness or by greed or by pride. But we do get skewed in that way. And we especially then need correction and help from those around us. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because this proverb particularly applies to when the voices we're listening to disagree with us. Of course, it wouldn't be difficult for the fool, would it, if the advice he's getting is the same as his own opinion. That wouldn't be hard for him at all. The problem is, the advice he's getting, it goes against what his idea is. And this, this word here... In the second part of verse 15, the, ma- the wise man listens to advice. It also has connotations of obedience. Uh, similar to when we speak in English, we would say, oh, he listened to what I said. It means he took it on board and he actually, he actually did something about it. And that's what the wise man does. He doesn't just hear something and say, ah, nah, can't be bothered with that. This is the man who's willing to, to be molded by the advice he hears. doesn't just ignore it. And the wise man actually appreciates the person who's, who, who says what goes against his own opinion. He recognizes when there's someone who's wiser than him or her and who takes a different view and is willing to uh, show that to them. Now this is the joy, isn't it, of being found among God's people. One of the great blessings of being in a church because there are other people constantly around us who can advise us, who can help us, who can guide us. And particularly, it's a blessing to have pastors and elders in the church, men who study the word of God 
men who are particularly wise in the things of God so that they may give advice. Men who spend time praying about you. Men who spend time studying God's word so that they may help you. They will have probably more wisdom uh, to give you and more love for you than you can imagine. And so we must make use of them. We're thankful for Henry and we're thankful for Ed as pastors in this church. Well, we ought to make good use of them and be wise in listening uh, to them. But making use indeed of each and every one of us. We each have different experiences, different backgrounds, uh, different nuggets of wisdom to give one another. And we ought not to hold that back. And we ought then ourselves to make use of it, listening. Above all, though, we need to take heed, don't we, of God's counsel. That's why we've got the scriptures. It guides us, it helps us, it leads us. Indeed, we might hear advice from a friend or we might come to the conclusion that actually that advice isn't the best. Uh, Actually, I disagree with that. But if it comes from God's word, we must not disagree with it. We cannot uh, disagree with God's counsel. We must listen to him and obey him. Well, let us then be those who listen to wise words. Thirdly, we must beware of angry words. Beware of angry words. Firstly, verse 16. We'll also consider verse 18 a little bit later on. But verse 16 says this, The vexation, or the anger, of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. I wonder if you knew that Water boils differently at different altitudes. The higher you climb a mountain, the lower the temperature the water boils at. Maybe you boys can go home and research the science behind that. Uh, So if you go to the top of Ben Nevis, water boils at about 95 degrees centigrade. And if you boil water at Mount Everest, well, I don't know how you do that, but (laughs) boil water on the top of Mount Everest, you could boil water apparently at 71 degrees degrees uh, centigrade. Well, we have here the fool who has a very low boiling point. It doesn't take too much for anger to bubble over in his life. He, as it were, sits on the top of the mountain, the mountain of tension, and the slightest look, the smallest word, and he blows up. To use another illustration, He's got a short fuse, a fuse just an inch long. It doesn't matter what it is, just a small thing, but his anger is known at once. You can tell, oh, how could you do that? How could you say that? Uh, And he's straight away using angry words. Now, this proverb doesn't go into why it's such a foolish thing. It just describes him, doesn't it, as a fool, the Uh, uh, the vexation of a fool is known at once. It simply states this. This is his characteristic. Well, it should be enough for us to know, shouldn't it, that that God does not delight in a bad temper. This is sinful anger. But surely we also know the consequences, don't we? The person who who blows up immediately at the smallest thing, well, if that is a common characteristic, then before long, people will avoid you. Uh, People won't tell you things because they're afraid of what your reaction is going to be. And so you end up being left in the dark about things. Uh, People will keep their distance from you. They'll think, oh, well, I don't want to share things with him. 
Uh, they'll, they'll hold you at arm's length. And worse than that, they'll despise you behind your back because they'll be talking about you. Oh, did you know he got so angry about this again and hear him complaining about that? Well, those are just some of the consequences of uh, the fool who blows up in a moment. Well, quite the opposite then is the prudent man we read here ignores an insult. Here is the wise advice. Be slow to anger. Interestingly, the word uh, we have here for the prudent is the same word that's used of the serpent in the garden. Cunning, shrewd. But of course here it's got positive connotations. This is the person who, who observes shrewdly, wisely what the best course of action is. And he knows how to defuse a situation rather than causing it to explode. And so then when there's someone trying to wind you up, trying to bring out a reaction from you, the best course of action is to ignore, to uh, not pay attention to it. Uh, and, and ignoring can sometimes be the best course of action, particularly if someone is trying to rile you. Uh, and they're really looking to, to see how you're going to respond. And they're looking for you to, to, to get angry. They're looking to you uh, to, to blow up. But the wise person will ignore that. Just look over it. Skim over it. And uh, nothing more uh, will happen. And, of course, those who, who pursue this, in the end, they'll get tired. They'll keep throwing insults. But just like water off a duck's back to you, well, in the end, they'll just get tired of spewing out uh, all of that. It's good to, to be able to ignore these things. But I think the Hebrew word here for ignore is, is more than just simply ignore. Uh, it means to cover over. And it's also used in Scripture as, as the word for forgive, to cover over, to conceal a matter. So this is a man who, who's not only ignoring in terms of he just doesn't pay attention to it, but, but if there's any offense at all, he lets go of it. He holds no bitterness against the person who is insulting him. It reminds me of that other proverb we have, love covers a multitude of sins. And such it is then, uh, such is the advice then that we ought to take heed of. Learn to forgive those who insult us. So let's take care, shall we, of our boiling point. Let me ask you this evening, where is your boiling point at? Is it a bit too low? Well, if we know it's too low, and we ought to take action, perhaps come down the mountain. So verse 16, we, see, we learn about uh, uh, beware of, of angry words, but I think we also see the same principle from a different angle in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is from another uh, angle. Uh, rather than the person who is uh, receiving angry words, this is the person who is likely to, to cause anger. Uh, rather than being one, sorry, the, the one who, rather than be the one who speaks angry words, is the one who might cause angry words through being careless in what he or she says, being thoughtless, and it can cause great damage. Now, what do we have here? There's one whose rash words, thoughtless words, are like sword thrusts. Here's a person who's got a dangerous weapon and they're just kind of waving it around while there's other people uh, uh, about them. I heard from someone recently, I, 
don't know if it was someone in this congregation or if it was someone, uh, may have well have been someone somewhere else. Uh, but they said that uh, they were in a hockey team and uh, they were being instructed by whoever it was who was, was teaching them, uh, don't wave your hockey sticks around. And so some uh, clever person thought they would wave it around and said, what, like this? And then managed to whack somebody in the face. Well, uh, and, and caused serious damage. It was just a, it was a bit of a joke. It was, it was harmless, but it was rash, and it caused damage. And, of course, though they might not have meant it, it was all too late. And we can be like that with our words. We just throw an accusation out there. And we, and we know as soon as we said it, we know we, we didn't really mean that, but, but it's too late. It's out there, and the damage and hurt has been done. Or maybe we're even caused to insult someone ourselves, maybe in a roundabout way. We need to be so careful with our words. We need to be so rash. I think it's a very helpful verse to remember. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Help me to be careful, Lord, in what I say. May I not be rash. And we cause such harm for needless reasons. Rather, we want to be wise, don't we? As the second half says, the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is the person who actively looks to heal where there has been a grievance. And even when perhaps you don't feel much sympathy for the person in their, in their complaint. And you're tempted to, to just be sharp-tongued or just, just to, to cast it off. Instead, we speak to diffuse and to turn down the heat. Words of kindness, words that are thoughtful. And even if we have got thoughts, we don't say them. We take care to make sure that we don't just have a a very short connection between thought and mouth. Let there be some processing time so that we might be careful what comes out of our mouths. And so then, let us beware of angry words. Well, finally then, uh, fourthly, we must speak true words. Speak true words. This is uh, four verses. Verses 17, verse 19, uh, verse 20, and verse 22, which all have to do with truth and uh, lying. True words. And so we'll look at these these four things, each which teach us a different thing about true words. Firstly, verse 17 teaches us that true words are consistent with character. They are consistent with character. Verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Now, this might seem to be a bit of a pointless proverb. The one who speaks truth gives honest evidence. You think, well, of course he does. Uh, The false witness utters deceit. Well, yes, of course he does, because he's a false witness. What's the point of this proverb? I think the point of this proverb is to teach us about consistency with character. Uh, The the verb that's used here with the the one who speaks in the first part of verse 17, whoever speaks the truth, it's quite a rare verb, actually, in, in the Old Testament. And it has reference to breath, to breathing out, or even to giving of aroma. And so the idea is that this is a man who breathes truth. 
in his day-to-day life, he's just truthful and honest in his dealings. His constant speech is truthful, just like his breath. And so then the importance is this. He's one who speaks truth, and so he gives honest evidence. So there's some matter that is now public. This is not to do with his day-to-day life. This is something that is out of the ordinary. And this is a man who can be called up, and you know when he speaks, he's going to speak the truth. Why? Because he speaks the truth all the time. Is of course, the opposite for the liar. Here is one who is a false witness. In his day-to-day experience, he's just used to lying, lying all the time. And so when it comes to actually being a, a, a witness to something, he utters deceit. He twists things. And this teaches us then that what we are and what we do day to day is what we are and what we do when things become public and when things become more serious. And this then exposes the falsehood of this idea that there's such a thing as a white lie. I'm sure we've heard of people talking about white lies before. Oh, it was just it was a small untruth, didn't cause anyone any harm. The thing is this. If you're used to telling white lies, so to speak, then, of course, you're going to be used to lying. And so when it comes to something more significant, you're going to start telling, quotes, black lies. Because it's part of your nature. It's what you're used to doing. You lie. And so you, you lie in, in other situations as well. The lie that seems harmless soon grows up to being into a deceit that is so absorbed into somebody's character that it just comes out in every way. Well, then we surely don't want to be them. We want to be the person in the first part of verse 17, the one who speaks the truth, who gives honest evidence. Truthfulness being part of our character and that consistency of truthfulness. Secondly, we learn that uh, true words endure forever. This is what we see in verse 19. True words endure forever. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Again, uh, we have a, a, a verse that sheds light on this. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Famous verse, be sure your sin will find you out. The truth always makes its way out, doesn't it, in the end. Maybe we try to cover up. We give a half-truth, but the whole picture ultimately slips out. Now, if we're those who hold to the truth then, we ultimately will be found to be holding on to that which lasts. People may not believe us at the time. They may not believe our version of events. They may not believe the testimony we give. But in the end, it will be shown that if we've spoken the truth, that indeed was true. And and whatever was false will fall away. And this gives us a real comfort, doesn't it, in believing in the promises of God. Because God, we read, cannot lie. And so if we're holding on to what God says in his word, it must be true. And so if we believe it, then we're holding on to that which endures forever. The lie, it will last and may seem to be prominent, but it's only for a short time. And it's going to be soon exposed. And so let us hold on to truth. And day to day, I hope with those who daily read the scriptures... Let's grab hold of the promises we read in the Bible. And let us remember that these will endure forever. Particularly when we read about things of eternal weight. 
And Peter talks, doesn't he, about scoffers. They mock us, saying, oh, well, where's Jesus coming again? It's all a hoax. No, we hold on to that because we know it's true. It's come from God. And when he does come again, all those who, who, who thought of it as a lie, they will be exposed in their lie, and their falsehood will be for uh, all to see. And we will be vindicated uh, in that truth we've held on to. So truth it, it lasts, and so we ought to, even when it seems as if there are consequences for believing and holding on to the truth, it's worth doing it because we will be vindicated. A true words also, we see, bring joy. They bring joy. We see that in verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Now, this proverb is speaking about things that cannot be seen. It talks uh, about a plan that cannot be seen. It talks about one person who's got deceit in the heart. It talks about the other person who plans peace. In other words, these are things that have not come to light yet. These are thoughts. These are intentions in the mind. But we read that also there is an experience in each of them that cannot be seen. And for the second person, we read that this one who plans peace, this person has joy. Now, why does this person have joy? He has joy because he knows that his intentions are good. If somebody was to investigate him in his plans, well, then they will discover that his plans are good and therefore the good of others. And uh, his thoughts and ideas will be praiseworthy. And so he has no fear of his plans being discovered. However, that's not so for the one who's, who's being deceitful. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. And he's got fear. Why? Because if he's investigated, it'll soon be discovered that he's got false motives. He's saying one thing, but actually he means another. He's being, we would say, two-faced. And there's nothing praiseworthy found within him. And so he has no joy. And he's living, as it were, a, a double life, constantly worried about what's going to happen, who's going to expose him. Who knows what? Oh, what a, it, is a, it is such a joyful thing to live in the truth. Because then we have nothing to hide. We can live at peace and at joy. And it, was a word to, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. If we're living uprightly in the sight of God and in the sight of men, it is a joyful thing. Because we know we're right before God. We have nothing to fear. And of course... What a joy it is to know that indeed we do have peace with God. <laughs> How many there are who are deceitful in their relationship with God. They think they've got a good relationship with God, but, but they even deceive themselves. And really they're frightened of God's judgment. They're fearful that the lie they're living is going to be exposed, and so it will. But for those of us who truly have peace with God, what a joy it is to know that we are right with him. And so we have no fear for the judgment day because we will be seen as righteous in his sight. And what a joy uh, that will be. And so we have joy to plan peace. Because God's plans for us are peace. And so we plan peace uh, ourselves. So true words. Uh, we've seen that they are consistent with character. They endure forever. They bring joy. Perhaps most importantly though of all. They delight the Lord. And that's what we see in verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. I'm told that when I was 
a little lad and we used to have family devotions together and we came across the word abomination in the Bible, I would always remember what it meant because a bomb is a bad thing. You're not going to forget that now, are you? Abomination. Abomination is a bad thing. Well, it's perhaps got more to it than that, but that's very simply what it is. Uh, Lying lips are indeed a bad thing to the Lord. And this is a word that is used to describe awful things uh, to to, to the Lord in, in Scripture, such as idolatry and sexual immorality. These are things that are an abomination to God. And the idea is of something that is polluted, something that is horrible, uh, that is repulsive, something that's, as it were, a stench in one's nostrils, vomit in the mouth. It's, it's just awful, disgusting. And that's what lying lips are to the Lord, repulsive to him, polluted, corrupt. God detests those who hide the truth and who lie. And it's interesting that this is included in a short list right at the end of the scriptures. Of all the things that could be included in this list right at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, this is one of the things included. Revelation 22 verse 15 says this. Out, well, from verse 14 it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So that's all the believers. Verse 15 it says, Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters and liars. It is a very serious sin in God's sight. And it is awful to him and it will be most severely judged but then we turn that around just as God absolutely detests what is a lie he adores he loves he delights in what is true and that's what we see don't we in the second part of the proverb that those who act faithfully uh, are his delight he loves those who speak truth and there's enough motivation there isn't there (laughs) There's enough motivation there to know the favor of God. Who would not want to be God's delight? (laughs) I do. (laughs) I don't know about you. I want to speak truth. I want to be God's delight. And so we speak truth then, you see, not just for the good of others, because it is to the good of others, and not even just to the blessing of ourselves, because it is. We've thought about how true words bring joy to our hearts. But we speak true words above all because it's pleasing to the Lord and we want to glorify him and in glorifying him we know that he delights in us and we know his favor well what a premium there is then on speaking truth it is a good thing so let us catch ourselves every time we're tempted to to obscure the truth to to twist our words so that it it appears that we're putting ourselves in a better light than we might be or whatever other way we might be deceiving let us love truth Because ultimately, in the end, it matters not what people think of us. It does matter what God thinks of us. And we want him surely to delight in our truthfulness and faithfulness in all matters. Well, do we have then such worthy words? Well, if we're going to have such worthy words, don't we need more of the word of God? Yes, the word of God in terms of the scripture 
but we need more of the word of God in terms of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the living word of God. He who was wonderfully perfect in all his words to us and he who wants us to be like him and we can be by the help of his Holy Spirit. We need more of the help of the spirit of truth who will enable us to sow good words, to listen to wise words, to beware of angry words, and to speak true words. Well, may God bless his word to our hearts. We'll come to a time of discussion shortly, but maybe we can just uh, sing a hymn, uh, first of all, uh, which is number 810 in the praise book. Number 810. Uh, we'll, we'll just pray briefly after, after the hymn, and then we'll come to uh, the time of, of discussion. Uh, number 810, may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Notice this, by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Verse 2 speaks about the word of God dwelling richly in us. Verse 3, the second half of that, talks about being calm to comfort those in grief and pain. Again, use of our words. And then verse 6 speaks about being a witness, speaking about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a lot about words in this in this hymn, and uh, may we be helped indeed to express the sentiment of this hymn truly from our hearts. So let's uh, stand as we sing together, number 810.